0: Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer and my guest today is Harry Alto for his second interview. did the first one a few months ago and if you haven't watched it you might even want to watch that one before watching this one. We received a very nice response to Harry's first interview, both Harry and me. He got maybe 600 emails from various people, some of whom he's still in communication with and I got all sorts of comments like cancel everybody else and just interview Harry every week. Some people really resonated with that interview. And I'm going to start with a a lot of questions that people sent in to Harry uh, on the basis of that interview. And then there's some other sections we're going to uh, cover in the course of this interview. Might be a long one. So I'm just going to start asking these in the order they appear. Okay. Um, well, here I am again. Yeah. Here you are. Again.
1: I don't know how you did that uh, again, but here I am and thank well, you for you liked, having me. You liked the first one. I did. I was yeah. very appreciative. Yeah, Let me were. just say a few words, you know. I was actually quite uh, intrigued and surprised by the response. Mm-hmm. Getting hundreds of people emailing you isn't my normal existence. And I try to answer the questions and Inquiries and so forth, as best I could. I didn't get to them all, but I got to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I was also surprised by the depth of some of the questions. Yeah, they were profound, mostly appreciative, but not always. And they were they were deep. They were they were good questions, and we're going to try to cover some of them today.
0: Yeah, and you also had people uh, wanting to come to Fairfield to see you, and wanting you to go and teach retreats in various places and so on, which you don't do as of yet but uh, it was interesting that that got stirred up. So uh, I'm just going to take these in order. It's uh, somewhat random, but uh, I'm sure that a lot of nice material will emerge as we go on. So here's the first question. What is the difference between no-self and all-self?
1: If I have a main story to tell or an experience to relate or an understanding to communicate, it's that the growth of consciousness is inclusive not exclusive. There's pure consciousness, fundamental everybody has it some people are aware of it some people aren't and that pure consciousness can be seen as empty or it can be seen as full it's been my experience that as a younger person in my experience there wasn't much there but it was there 24 hours a day always there that's called uh, uh, awakening right the first stage of awakening to me is that stage where you see this primordial consciousness that's universal and then My experience was that 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 consciousness grew, as it became brighter, fuller, richer, it wasn't so dark, wasn't so small, it started revealing its true nature, and the true nature of the relative and the subtle relative. That's what I'd say about that. Do you have a question on that?
0: No, but it, it reminded me of something I wanted to say, which is that in the last interview I introduced you as being possibly the most articulate person I had interviewed. And I objected to that, yes. Yeah, and, uh, and afterwards I thought, no, articulate isn't the right word. I've, I've interviewed plenty of people who are incredibly articulate. Yes. You know, they're experienced Very intellectual, teachers, very sequential. Writers. Writers. Yes. yeah. Yes. But I thought of a metaphor to perhaps distinguish you from a lot of the people out there, which is that, you know, most of the people in the world think that I am a wave, and I see myself as separate from all these other waves. And then teachers come along and say, you're not a wave, you're the ocean. And, and some people realize that experientially, oh yeah, I'm the ocean. And then other teachers, I'd say a little bit more nuanced, say, you're, you are the ocean, but you're also the wave, you're both, you know, individuality and universality. Now what you're saying is, okay, yeah, you're the wave in the ocean, but look, within the ocean there's all kinds of detail. There's fish, and whales, and seaweed, and crabs, and all kinds of stuff going on within the ocean. And you don't hear too many people, I'm obviously using a metaphor here, but you don't hear too many people out there in the spiritual circuit talking that way, about the fine fabrics or the fine details within the unmanifest, within consciousness. And I think that's an area in which you are extremely articulate well, there's the word I think In that respect, you are articulate. You know, you, you can say a lot about that stuff.
1: I'd like to add here that none of these fish or whales or squid, whatever, swimming around in the ocean, <laughs> eliminate the ocean. The ocean I experience just like many, many people do. It's an unbounded field of consciousness. It isn't disturbed by anything. It's there. It's always there. And perhaps in my last interview, you might have you know, thought that I was only talking about the structure or, or the details, of the, but I'm, I'm not. I'm talking about the whole phenomenon. The ocean will never be anything other than an ocean. What's in the ocean, and you know, some people think there's nothing in the ocean. <clears throat> and that's true on one level. There's nothing in the ocean. If you talk about the absolute, pure unbounded silence, it's pure unbounded silence. In my experience, there's an experiencer to that silence. And when, it's, when there's an experience of somebody saying, well, I, I have this experience, that experience is already something. It's some fluctuation, however silent. So I'd like to make that point. The ocean is always there. I recognize if somebody has the ocean, that's the fundamental, first, and most important experience of, of wakefulness is being aware of that ocean of consciousness. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And we'll get into some questions about this later, but some would say, If you're kind of getting hung up on all the details of, you know, angels and subtle beings and subtle levels and all kinds of stuff that's going on, which is what we're referring to when we talk about fish within the ocean, you know, the the subtle mechanics of creation, then you're kind of regressing because you're getting caught up in stuff which ultimately is maya, ultimately is illusory. If you're really settled in enlightenment, then you don't care about all that stuff. You're just down to the foundation bedrock of creation and you reside there Mm. without any...
1: Yes, but nobody's talking that that ocean goes away. Right. The point is that the ocean is there along with all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. The point is that you're not sitting there like Buddha with a big belly. (laughs) You're also with eyes open having the same experience. Mm. The same experience of that unbounded ocean of consciousness along with everything else. A person who has a fully developed consciousness doesn't suddenly not see the daily relative drives a car, stops at a red light, doesn't drive through the red light, stops, because that's the thing to do, right? Self-preservation is still lively. Now, pure consciousness, if you look at it from just the level of pure consciousness itself, you could say that, you know, I I said this analogy last time, when it's clear, when it's full, it's like, it starts like a flashlight and ends up like a floodlight, and then turns into an illuminated field of consciousness that shines on everything and gives it its full value. It doesn't go anywhere, it's always there. I acknowledge the fact that all the non-dualists and the Advaitis have something very significant in their consciousness, pure consciousness. It's great, that's wonderful. My experience was that that pure consciousness is, is just like what I've said. It's a light that illuminates whatever comes into its proximity, it doesn't eliminate it. A person...
0: Does pure consciousness have a proximity, isn't
1: it? I say whatever everywhere? comes into it, that's a figure of speech.
0: Okay,
1: okay. Pure consciousness is everywhere,
0: yeah.
1: but so is the fluctuations of pure consciousness, the subtle relative, and even the gross relative, it's everywhere, mm. it's a universe. Yeah. It's all one continuum, and yes, it's all one level of consciousness, seen by people who are traveling towards it as it were now. Somebody might say there's no path. Ultimately, if you want to look at it holistically, there is no path. On the other hand, we all are moving towards something. If, if, uh, If somebody wants to eat something, they have to go to the grocery store and they go buy it. It doesn't matter if you have pure consciousness or don't have pure consciousness. You have to go to the grocery store to get the food. We call that a journey. Consciousness is like that. You're moving towards the recognize, recognizing something that's already there. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's been my life. There's always that sense when there's a new experience or a new level that it's always been there. There's always that feeling there. Now, the only thing that my experience has been that every time I see something say it's a celestial level. As long as that celestial level or that Devas or gods or goddesses, whatever you see doesn't obscure the pure consciousness. It's a valid, good experience. If all you see is the subtle relative, then that's not good. That's like being lost in the gross relative. Mm -hmm. Same thing. It's all in reference to the self, in reference to the wholeness of the experience. Mm
0: -hmm. Right? Okay.
1: All right. Let's go on.
0: What do you feel is the main benefit of self realization?
1: In my case, it's a, a sense of contentment that comes from the knowing. It's you know, it's a very simple analogy. You know, the let's say somebody has the world's most valuable ruby, but it's still rough cut. Maybe they, they don't even know what it is, so they have no value. They got they own the ruby. It's worth millions of dollars, but they don't know what it is. What value is that? Some expert geologist gemologist, gemologist comes along, comes into looks at this raw stone, says, "Whoa." Do you know that that's a very valuable ruby? No, I didn't know that. I've had that for generations. Suddenly that knowledge, what does that knowledge do to that? That person is very ecstatic. His life has been transformed, right? That's a very common analogy, but it's very true. So what I'm saying is that is that the understanding of the reality of your own experience, the understanding that there is this field of consciousness that can illuminate the gross relative, the subtle relative, everything in your life can enhance it. That knowledge alone is worth having wakefulness for. Quite apart from the fact that it makes you happier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can one person help wake another person up? I had a lot of people
1: say, help, help, you know, give, yeah. can, can you do something for me? and in the same way that I'm, you know, we're talking about understanding and knowledge, how understanding enhances experience that's already universally available, yes, understanding can help. But everybody, everybody's different, right? And people ask me, so, so if you're having all those experiences, why don't you change the world? Why don't you enlighten this person? Why don't you do this? Think about it for a second. If there was such a human being on Earth who could, let's say, let's say you could enlighten me, That would upset the entire fabric of creation. If there was a healer on earth who could heal everybody, that would be the end of civilization as we know it. Everybody would get healed. It would be lines up going around the world to see this person. But that's not how it is. We have our own lives to live. Now miracles as far as I can see are fortuitous events that happen at the right time to the right person. They don't happen randomly. I can't suddenly say, Hey Rick, you're awake. (laughs) And you say, Oh, thank you, Harry. That's wonderful. But nobody has had that the the rishis, the gurus, the greatest people on earth haven't had that ability.
0: Yeah, but there are great many famous and some not so famous people who seem to have a knack for being catalysts to others' awakenings. You know, many people awoke in the presence of Ramana or Papaji or some of the contemporary teachers, Adyashanti, Pamela Wilson, you know, various people have a pretty good track record in terms of catalyzing or facilitating a spiritual awakenings among those who come to yes, see them.
1: Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, Let's, let, uh, Pure consciousness is universal. It's in around through everybody you can't it's there some people are aware of it some people so so let's say a person comes along who actually has this experience and he begins to describe it let's say you're close to that experience but you don't know what it is it's there you know you don't know it's there but it's there so the, the right person comes along at the right moment and starts describing it to you so suddenly the the uh, the jewel the the that was that's in the rough stone is described to you as as what it really is. Yes, you can oh, yeah, I get it, I get it. Mm-hmm. That can happen, of course. and it does.
0: But when you talk in terms of description, that has more of an intellectual connotation. you know you're clarifying somebody's intellectual understanding, but how about the transmission quality? you know but that, that's that what I'm saying
1: and an awake person does not talk intellectually. he talks
0: he might give lectures and talks.
1: Yes, but it's not intellectual. If he, if the person is awakened, he speaks from his the, experience. From his experience,
0: right. And so what, what I'm saying, in terms of what he can convey to others and how he can convey it, he can use words. But you know, a lot of teachers say, well, it's my silence which is the real teacher here. My words are just sort of filler. And what, if you're getting anything from me, it's because of sitting in my presence. And there's a kind of a, a contagiousness to. Uh, the sitting in the presence of an enlightened person a transmission which is supposed to be conducive to awakening
1: if a person is awake his speech is the speech of enlightenment Mm -hmm. it's not just a transmission of an emanation his speech is the same speeches can convey the subtleties of pure consciousness of awakening to somebody else Mm -hmm. of course but if that person isn't in the right at the right time, in the right moment. Otherwise, a teacher like that could enlighten everybody, they can't.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously they can't have 7 billion people in their immediate presence. Or even and, 10. And, even if, or if they, and if they have 10, let's say, those 10 are going to be at varying degrees of receptivity. That's my point. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, like Amma used the example of a log that's burning brightly can kind of ignite other logs if they come close to it. And, you know, maybe one log is dry and ready to burn, another log is kind of waterlogged and soggy, and it's not going to ignite very easily. But, you know, if a log has the readiness to burn, th- there's a greater likelihood of it igniting in the, in the immediate presence of an awakened person than if it's just off someplace without such a person to, to sit with.
1: I do have trouble with that saying that all you have to do is sit near a person and that person will get okay that's yeah that's a little bit far-fetched. Most of those
0: teachers don't say that either that's right you know some of them say well I can only do so much yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah. you gotta do something you gotta practice do do some meditation you have to be ready for it I mean yeah okay I think we're in agreement on that
0: okay how is it possible to be eternal or experience infinity since everything seems to be ending
1: you know that brings up the whole thing of the ever-changing relative, you know, our daily lives seem to be nothing but a series of events that begin, go somewhere and end like that's relative life, the universe seems to function that way, right? There's a beginning, a middle and an end. And then this whole concept that many organizations or spiritual movements talk about that it's all an illusion it's all, why go there? And in terms of a person who doesn't have pure conscience, I totally agree If you don't have the pure consciousness established 24 hours a day, then the relative appears to be not worth much. You can become afraid of it because it's always ending and at the end of your life you're gone, it's over. Now, a person who wakes up has the experience that At first, there's a separation that takes place. You know, in some organizations it's called cosmic consciousness. There's a big separation. Pure consciousness is is separate from your activity, separate from your senses, your body, your environment, your friends, the world. It's just separate. It's just there. You don't really know what it is. It's just there. It's self-awareness itself. It knows itself, but whoever you are doesn't know it. From that point of view, it looks like an illusion. It, it feels like an illusion now. The world does. The world does. Yes, the relative life seems like it's an, a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Now, as that separation becomes less and less, let's say, let's say pure kind just say it's here, and let's say um, the rest of life is here, and it gets closer and closer and closer. Call this a light. Call pure consciousness a light. It begins to you begin to reckon this is the kind of you here and it gets bigger and bigger this doesn't really not this is not really happening because it's already happened you're already one state of consciousness but you're realizing that and as you realize the fundamental uh, experience of pure it it begins to unite everything on the understanding deep deep understanding level first okay there's a growth of consciousness in terms of the illumination or the or the expansion of the self the expansion of the self means that the changing value of the relative begins to be known in its non-changing value there's a non-changing va- remember mm-hmm. the pure consciousness is everywhere right it's not just here it's everywhere now the trick is that or what certainly has happened to me and certainly has been my experience that Neither of the, neither the experience of pure consciousness or the experience of, of daily life relativity, neither of them actually change in any way. The absolute doesn't turn non-absolute, the relative doesn't turn uh, non-relative. It continues to appear to change. The illusion is that there's the appearance of change, it's an illusion. It's an appearance. It doesn't really change. Even the relative doesn't change because it's permeated by pure consciousness. Infinity, the absolute. Now, where I might differ from other people is I would say that even the silence is a a field of fluctuating knowingness. It's actually the ground state of, of all relativity if it's a ground state of all relativity, then the the relativity is also absolute, is also non-changing, is also eternal. Every single movement in the world, whether it's spiritual or New Age, talks about you can wake up. There's there's a field of infinite life, eternity, you can experience the absolute. What does that actually mean? It means just that. There is a field of... It's not absolute life for the absolute. Absolute life for some nebulous huge unbounded nothingness. It's infinite life for you and for me and for everybody else if they can realize that if they have the experience of wakefulness then ultimately you begin to realize that everything is that including the small self including the senses including the body including your friends environment and all of that is infinite in the end. All of that is, uh, has infinity as its base value. Now, as long as it's something you don't know, then you might as well say you're not. you're not. You don't have an eternal life. You have an eternal life if you know it. It's not the absolute that has the eternal life. It's something else. And my experience, I went through maybe a decade where I was looking, I had this huge abstract Experienced, And I was looking for, who's having that experience? Where is he? Mm. Where's that person? Somebody's having it. Is it just unbounded, absolute knowing itself? Because that was my experience. It was kind of a unified knowingness that everything was unbounded. Everything. The relative, the subtle relative, God's angels, everything. All unbounded, pure consciousness. But who was having that experience? Didn't seem to be anybody there. Nobody home. That went on for about a decade. And what happened over time, it's hard to put into words, but, but let's try. That unified, abstract experience started turning more concrete, more physical. Somehow, can't tell you how, but my senses began to function and move Within that absolute, without coming out, it didn't disturb that absolute consciousness, that absolute fluctuation of wholeness. Even the senses did not disturb that. And soon as that, even I had an inkling of that. I said, "Aha! That's where the I is. That's where the big I is, the little I is, the middle size, All the the knowingness that I've had for all these years actually has a center, has an experiencer." And I, I realized in a flash and had the experience that between, what is this word now, between the absolute and the relative is that experiencer that holds them together and holds them apart. Sees the absolute, sees the relative. At that point, when the, when the knower, my knower, your knower, you are a knower, and, and there's a kind of a point value personality there, as well as a universe, all that knower as if ties the entire experience of togetherness, the all the layers of creation suddenly say I am that. They all are that. So that nothing is excluded, the experiencer says I'm pure silence I'm also pure dynamism. At this point the, the relative life, daily life takes on the same quality even though it remains exactly the same. On the understanding level sensory level, experiential level the daily life takes on the same value as the Absolute while remaining regular life. It's no longer seen as an illusion, seen as the fully glorified aspect of the Self, one of the fully glorified aspects of Oneness. There is, there is one state of consciousness, I agree with that, but that state of consciousness recognizes and is all the different layers as well.
0: This reminds me. Last couple of weeks, I've interviewed a couple of physicists. One was yes. Peter Russell, and he wrote a book called "From What Was It From uh, Science to God." And then last week, uh, Bernardo Kastrup, who wrote a book called "Why Materialism is Baloney," and uh, and with both of them, the discussion came up about the mechanics of creation. On the one hand, we you know we are always saying everything is consciousness; it's all consciousness, and yet. How does consciousness become flesh and paper and metal and and stars and uh, you know or does it I mean because if you look closely enough, you find that those things are also very insubstantial you know it, this appears to be a hand, but if you go down to the subatomic levels there's it's just um, you know probabilities of energy you know and there's really nothing going on um, so what are uh, and Bernardo actually tried to distinguish between um, Inanimate things, such as cups, which there's nothing that it's like to be a cup, a cup has no self-consciousness, and animate things. And we got into a debate about where you draw the line between what's alive and what's not alive and so on. And he used the analogy that, you know, it's all water and a whirlpool in water is nothing but water, but it has a sort of an existence as a whirlpool, and it has this sort of self-reflective quality where one side of the whirlpool could reflect the other side of the whirlpool. Whereas he, he distinguishes it with something like a cup, which has, it's more like a ripple in the water, it hasn't become a whirlpool, so it has no self-reflective quality. So the, the question is, how if everything is nothing but consciousness, absolute, and this is perhaps an eternal question, and the, the great mystics have been baffled by it, you know, the, the, the mysterious nature of maya, but how is it that, that you know, consciousness absolute appears to assume form without actually losing its quality as consciousness absolute? Because if it can lose it, if, for, if consciousness can become plastic or metal, then it changes. And if it changes, it's not unchanging you know it get converted into something else so it's relative like everything else
1: yeah that's true that's um, that's a perennial question right <laughs> I started uh, writing about just that thing how does the absolute manage to remain absolute in the process of becoming the objective world and I've written uh, maybe hundreds of pages of stuff on that and let me see if I can summarize it with my experience of that, yes, there is a process. The reason I call experience pure consciousness on its fundamental level, because it's conscious, conscious of itself, I also call it pure intelligence. Intelligence has a quality of intelligence. That intelligence is the, is, let's call it the packets of knowledge that have imbibed in them with the seed values of relativity. Now, relativity doesn't have any validity on that level because, on, on the level of the primary level of pure conscious, everything is eternal. It's always fluctuating. In Indian terms, it's called the Ved, right? The fluctuations of, of universal consciousness and individual consciousness. Now, those packets or those reverberations of knowledge, how they objectify from this subjective field of consciousness, how do they become... I'm loath to say this because somebody will accuse me of being a know-it-all, but I see that, I can see how that takes place. I wasn't going to cover it in this meeting. Now Maybe, you <laughs> well, I'm going to do a little bit of that. I got to a point in my experience where there was nowhere else for me to go to understand it other than because I was looking for how to describe that entire process that I'm experiencing, how pure consciousness becomes this moving consciousness, becomes this subtle relative consciousness, and becomes this gross relatives, as I say. And it doesn't really become that, because it's already that. There's the answer. It's already that. Mm -hmm. That's the answer to if a person's consciousness is aware of the subtle, the. Pure, unbounded consciousness, uh, aware of the subtle, relative fluctuations of consciousness, intelligence as it's fluctuating, as it's becoming conscious, more objective, and as as it becomes the uh, the world of the natural law, or the, let's call it the natural elements, sun, air, water, all those elements of nature that make the body, the sun, the air, all of those things. There's a process that's taking place that's maintaining you. Those are also part of the process, and once you get to that level, it's only one little step into the gross relative. So you've got this continuum of consciousness. It can be seen, it can be known. Now. The ancient Indian rishis, of course, described this in the in the four primary Vedas. I wasn't going to talk about that, but maybe I didn't I talk about
0: anything that comes okay, up. All right.
1: So they have rik veda soma vade, yajurveda, and Ved. Those are the four. Keep in mind, I'm not a Vedic scholar. I've had an experience, and I I put it into this framework for understanding because I haven't found it anywhere else. So rik veda is described as. Uh, There's a word called sanghita. It's pure consciousness, pure unbounded consciousness, and that's how the Rishi is called the Veda. Everything is included in this this, uh, Veda. Samaveda is the movement of that consciousness. I see the movement of that consciousness, it's as if part of that uh, pure consciousness. It's imbibed in it, it's everywhere. The self-awareness of, of this abstract field of consciousness is called Samavate. It's also extremely blissful. But the movement of consciousness is already somewhat physical. It's moving, it's fluctuating, it's doing. And, and there's that word I used last time, you know, Soma, samaved. The movement of consciousness is, is, is one of the aspects of the experience that I have. I see consciousness, I see its movement. Some people will immediately say, pure consciousness can't move because it's pure, unbounded, immovable. I agree, it's pure, unbounded, immovable. But I also experience a field of consciousness that actually moves, along with that. It does not obscure, neither is obscure. Then there's the Atarva Ved, which is the subtle relative. And in Indian terms, it's the Devata level. In Christian terms, it would be the heavens and all the angelic beings that the mystics have described. So it's a continuum, there's this pure consciousness, there's this movement of pure consciousness, and there's the celestial level, the divine level, the subtle relative level. One continuum. Now, you might notice it's going from the abstract to the movement and that's a little more concrete than the abstract going towards the movement going to the subtle relative level that's more concrete but it's still divine not in most people's consciousness now if you're just lost in the field of that angels and gods then that's no good it's no better than being lost in relative life no better than being lost in the absolute where nothing exists okay so the fourth field of Ved would be the uh, Atarva Ved. That would be a description of, of the relative.
0: Yajur, you haven't mentioned. I think you already mentioned it.
1: Atar- I'm sorry, Yajur-Ved Yajur is is the subtle relative. Right. Yes. And then the Atar- Ataravade would be the last. Uh, it's it's a description of the let's call it just our daily lives, mm-hmm. the universal existence on the gross level. So in Vedic terms or and which actually relates to my experience very clearly is that there's these four levels. Now they're not independent levels. They're not one, two, three, four. They're one field of consciousness. So I agree with that. There's one consciousness. For the sake of articulating that one consciousness, for the sake of understanding that, here's the jewel again, okay Mm -hmm. this jewel has value because it has all this detail has this wonderful detail has it has this unbounded quality has this movement quality has this divine quality and has this relative quality all of which makes one eternal unbounded consciousness which is what eternal life is all about you can't change that that's a reality everybody will eventually get there
0: let me uh, ask the same question in a slightly different way one thing I kind of ran into with Peter Russell, I think, if I understood... We've only gone through three questions so far. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> I brought my pillow and my right. my yeah. blankie and my teddy bear. The, the quality of intelligence, long before there were living beings who could have discussions like this, there was an evolving universe, if the Big Bang theory is correct, and stars were getting formed and stars were exploding and reforming, and heavier elements were getting created, but if there had been anyone there to really examine it closely, they would have seen that uh, all these processes were being carried out by very profound and precise laws of nature, gravitation and electromagnetic, all the laws of nature that physicists currently understand. So it didn't take any kind of biological life to conduct to understand all that and even now you know things happen in the world without biological intelligence. There's an intelligence governing creation itself and biological intelligence is just one expression of that. So, what fascinates me for some reason is that whole issue of intelligence. Consciousness, the word consciousness, has kind of a plain vanilla connotation. It's like this flat, you know, nothingness. But it's far, it's so much more than that, obviously, if we look to the display of it in creation. There's, there's just so, such infinite intelligence in, you know, governing every tiny particle and every vast you know galaxy and everything in between it's one seamless orchestration of of intelligence everything infinitely related and infinitely correlated so how does that kind of relate to your experience of the actual mechanics of what is going on and what what is this intelligence both in its universal value and in terms of its individual agencies it, the expressions of that intelligence which conduct the manifestation and governance of creation. That's
1: a pretty heavy question.
0: Well, I want a heavy answer
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, You say where's the biological uh, component to this apparently you know mechanical, almost random,
0: no, 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 not random. Nothing's okay. random. All right. And and biology is just a, a kind of an offshoot of a much vaster intelligence which exists whether or not there's any kind of biological expressions. You know, wh- whether there's human beings or, or newts or anything else, there, the universe is this sort of beautiful display of intelligence. And you've described to me in, in the past, you know, experiences of deep laws of nature that are actually responsible for the, the whole the whole show.
1: Well that's what I was going to get to is that as soon as you say consciousness, as soon as you say intelligence I immediately have the experience that of um, let's call it cosmic biology (laughs) Okay, let's put the word God in there for a moment you could take the word absolute and exchange the word put God there in this age we don't talk about God as much, you know, we have more scientists, they like to talk about the absolute and the vacuum state and all these these things, but when I listen to a physicist talk, particularly a, a physicist that's really kind of delving into it, it sounds very much like what I'm experiencing. Now if I were to describe my experience in terms of light or movements of consciousness, I can see the structure and it looks like all those. Terms the physicists use. You know, I forget what they are, but you know, quanta of light, yeah, and, there's and all, all Force this. fields and matter yeah, fields, and, and, and all that.
0: Quarks and leptons and bosons it and It looks all that exactly
1: stuff. like that to me. Right now, if I were to describe my expanse to me, I would see pure consciousness, and I see all these these sheets and waves and points of light they're fluctuating Mm -hmm. and they're crossing each other, there's points where they cross, they spiral out this field of unbounded consciousness which doesn't move is immovable on its surface as it were surface being everywhere, it's not one-dimensional, it's all-dimensional, there's this field of fluctuating sheets and waves and points and twirling ricks of light I can see it, I can see it now, and I see these going into those four fields that I talked about. They bifurcate, as it were, they get more and more complex, but the complexity becomes more and simpler and simpler because all these little points and fluctuations, they make a wholeness. It's like your body, you know, it's a kind of a simple, on one level it's a simple unit, we're all the same, we're running around doing what we do, we're a body. It's infinitely complex. Yet we're still just, you know. I see a guy walking. Or how how simple is that? Or whatever, right? It's one body. In the same way, this pure consciousness looks to me like a cosmic body, like God. Mm-hmm. How can I say that? And in some way, little old me, little old you, we're related to that. I don't want to use the word entity, but let's let's say just God. Let's just use the word God. We're related to God, and.
0: Tom Trainer used to like to say, "Sense organs of the infinite."
1: You could say that. Huh. In a sense, you'd say the the elements of nature are the functioning of the sense organs of God. Let's, you know, yeah, it's one way of talking. Yeah, one way of talking about it, right? So, uh, what we're saying, describing this absolute experience. And those four levels that I talk about, they're not levels independent of each other, it's one continuum of consciousness. So
0: when you're seeing all these streams and points of light intersecting and doing all this stuff, it's not like just some kind of… It's not random. It's not random and it's not some kind of meaningless visual hallucination. You say you're actually… Some people might say that. (laughs) (laughs) They might say, yeah. But uh, you're saying that you're actually, that those are actually the mechanics of perception uh, excuse me. The mechanics of creation that your perception is allowing you to app, to apprehend to whatever degree. Maybe it's not 100% complete. Maybe there's even more going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm sure there but is. But you're you're kind of tuning into something that is sort of uh, integral to the manifestation of the universe on, on an actual visual level.
1: Yes, and it's undeniable to me personally because my daily life is not disconnected from that subtle relative. Mm-hmm. The subtle relative is not disconnected from, from this absolute field of pure silence. They're, they're there simultaneously. I can't deny that they're there. And it's not just a, fi- it's not just a knowingness, it's a visual, auditory, sensory, I can literally uh, taste it, even. All the senses are part of that. That's why I like the word wholeness, and I know that it might be hard to understand, but imagine if if your inner experience is not inner experience, it's actually inner to outer experience. And that inner to outer experience includes pure consciousness, the subtle relative, and the gross fault. All is one continuum. Then the knowledge dawns on you that what isn't absolute? What isn't absolute? Nothing in this this fluctuating field or this beautiful field eliminates pure consciousness. Pure consciousness does not eliminate those subtle fields, nor the so-called gross relative, which has ceased to be gross. It's now It's found itself in its full value. And the full value of the relative is the full value of the subtle relative. The full value of the subtle relative is the full value of the absolute. And here, you, I loved your analogy at the beginning, you know, you know, describing the ocean. The ocean. Yes, you got all these things swimming in the ocean. The ocean is not disturbed in any way by all this stuff. And they're not distractions to the wholeness. Quite on the contrary, what I found, my experience have evolved over 40 years. It didn't happen overnight. Every time I had a new experience and maybe I'd get lost in it for a little while and say, oh, this is so beautiful, this is glorious, whoa, man. But it, it was like a puzzle, another puzzle piece. And, and what happens when you see a puzzle piece put into a puzzle? You see a bigger area, right? So it reveals more of the puzzle, the, you see more of the scene or whatever the puzzle is and then there's five pieces missing there and you suddenly have this experience or you find the puzzle, put them there what happened? or suddenly there's a panorama so in a sense after a certain point of um, clarity of consciousness everything that happens expands the field of unboundedness and of course it's already unbounded but since my physiology and my senses and my body's only having a certain amount of that it can keep growing how to put
0: that? Well, like you were saying at the very beginning, the infinite is is already infinite. Has always been infinite. Unboundedness is all. But it's a matter of how much we can appreciate it. And you don't necessarily go from A to Z in one you yeah, know, second. That's right. It's a it's a you know, progressive. Yes, yes, growth Yes. Yes. And yes, yes. there's always more to appreciate.
1: Yes. You, let's let's take a few more questions since, so <laughs> I don't get a million questions.
0: Why didn't you answer my question? Okay. All right. I think we may have answered this one. What is this illusion that everyone talks about? Yeah, let's about? let's, let's skip leave that, that one, one alone. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe the next one, describe what it means to be awake to pure consciousness. I think you've already done that. We've done that, yeah. Okay, well let but this let's touch on this one just a little bit more. Okay. Why do you always talk of subtle layers? Are they okay. not just another form of illusion?
1: Yes. They are another form of illusion if that's all you're experiencing.
0: Yeah. So in other, other words if, if you're hung up in them.
1: if you're hung up in a celestial or some mm-hmm. uh, or some angel or god or something and all you have is that experience mm-hmm. or or you have some psychic power or you whatever and that's what you have pure consciousness is not there but this wonderful or not so wonderful experience is there if you're lost in that experience to the exclusion of pure consciousness yes that's that would be the same as Running around the relative and not knowing the, uh, not having that experience of pure consciousness. Same thing on the subtle level.
0: And it seems that by the same token, you can get lost in the absolute. Uh, and there's a there's this phrase in the Upanishads which says, "Into blinding darkness go those who worship." Uh, How does it go? Into blinding darkness go those who you know worship the relative. Even into even greater darkness go those who worship the absolute. You know, uh, it uses slightly different terms, but it's almost like if you become sort of a, a fundamentalist of the absolute, dismissing all the relative implications and levels of experience. You know, that is just as incomplete as as what people ordinarily do, being hung up in the relative and unaware of the absolute. If that, if I'm interpreting that verse correctly.
1: Everybody has to realize he said that, not
0: me. (laughs) No, but
1: you have to give full glory to the absolute, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the fundamental experience of wakefulness is 24 hours a day, pure consciousness. Okay, I'll just go through this one more time. And I do agree with you in principle, but I would never put down the absolute because that's where my experience started. Mm -hmm. And and still there. That has never changed pure unbounded consciousness is a field that starts small its little you know it may maybe, of it it's taste, a flavors right? taste maybe a kid kind of knows it but doesn't understand it so they, you know it doesn't mean much and then uh, perhaps you have pure consciousness at night sometime and you wake up in the morning and you say, what was that? I had all this stuff, but it's dark. It's small. It's here intermittent and, and over time. Let's say it becomes permanent
0: mm-hmm.
1: By the time it becomes permanent, you know, it's substantial. You're walking down the street. You know that what is this pure? What is this thing? It's and then uh, it gets clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. I don't believe that clarity ever stops because uh, There's almost an infinite distance to go to the infinite. Now, at some point you realize that you are that unbounded field of consciousness. And at another point you realize not only are you that unbounded field of consciousness, you're also its fluctuations, you're its second phase, its movement phase. And at some point you realize not only are you on the subtle level of understanding and experience, uh, that movement of consciousness, Even the relative, your daily life, is part of the story of that consciousness. And at that point you start thinking, well, there's some kind of wholeness here, some kind of knowingness that includes everything. So yes, pure consciousness is fundamental, but in my opinion, in my experience, so is the subtle relative, so is the gross relative. The gross relative is kind of an illusion if you don't have pure consciousness. And if you don't see the connecting links between the subtlest to the grossest, the connecting links is the experiencer. There's so much talk about, well, there's no experiences, there's no I, there's nobody having the experience. Well, go ahead and die if you like, because that's what you're (laughs) describing. But you're not describing that. You're describing an experience. Somebody's having it. Now, the somebody that's having that experience of the absolutes is, is very, very, very subtle. Very subtle. It's so subtle that it's not recognized as an I. That's how I look at it. And ultimately, it will be.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people out there who say there is no I, you know, there is no person, and and so on and so forth. And uh, and they go around teaching that way. Uh, So you're saying that there is one, but it's so subtle that you can miss it uh, even if you're in some kind of awakened state. I mean, people who are not in an awakened state, you know, they practice self. Inquiry: Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And you know they never find any anything substantial that they can say. This is the kernel of my existence, the I. And, and you know, hopefully, eventually they arrive at unboundedness, and they realize "Oh, I am that unboundedness." But you're also saying that there is some kernel, there is some uh, individual knower who stands at the door between the absolute and the relative, and that's subtle and and takes some time to actually recognize if one ever does.
1: Every guru, every teacher, every movement throughout time from the ancient rishis to the present teachers and the luminaries they all open their mouth and say stuff
0: based on their experience
1: based on their experience if if the case was that nothing matters no path it's all unbounded don't have to open your mouth at all yeah but it's not like that right it's just not like that yeah on the on the day to day level we all need a little help
0: yeah I mean there are even teachers who say you know you don't need teachers you don't need you don't need techniques you don't need anything that but keep coming to my meetings they actually make a joke out of that <laughs> Okay dokie. does one need to meditate to progress since pure awareness is already everywhere
1: well, that's a good question. <laughs> We've kind of covered it but kind of. you know, it med- you know, you want to become a good violinist, what do you do? You practice, right? Right. It's really that simple. Um, there well, the are the flip side of this question yeah. would be
0: yeah. if you're realized, if you're awakened, if okay. you're enlightened, yes. Yes. you know, why would you need to meditate? And not and you said in the last thing, well, I have a body and the body needs rest, but if you're really established in pure consciousness, doesn't that sort of silence of pure consciousness constantly sustain and refresh and rejuvenate the body without having to sit down and, and engage in a specific practice?
1: Well, is my hair white? Yeah. <laughs> yes, is every guru or teacher, I'm not a guru or that, but right. it, they're, they're aging.
0: They all age and die.
1: Yeah. So, yes, it's a good idea to, to close your eyes once in a while and have a, an authentic technique mm-hmm. from, you know, from a good tradition and practice that because it rests the body. But apart from that, everybody meditates according to the level of their consciousness. So if you're awake, your meditation is different than somebody who isn't awake. There's no denying if I close my eyes... I have different experience when my eyes are open. Right. I'm not saying it's greater or better. I'm just saying it's different. And that's enjoyable. That's enjoyable.
0: Here's some points from our friend that we'll talk about more later on. All right. In a profound awakening, this, this friend of mine who I mentioned in the last interview who sent in a lot of rather skeptical questions, uh, and we'll come back to these other questions. In a profound awakening, there is not one shred of difference in experience with eyes closed and eyes open, no division between inner and outer if all one's mind stream has if one's mind stream has been stilled, which is why meditation is no longer no longer desirable or even feasible. It is clearly seen in experience that there is all there is is the self silence and one is that Where would one go for more of anything? Um, Every moment is meditation, empty of self-will, doing God's bidding. Awakened people who meditate are not talking about a compulsive formal meditation. They are just sitting in silence, enjoying the view. A mantra is a vehicle, and once the river has been crossed, the vehicle gets discarded. To want to go somewhere twice a day that is other or better than where we are is illusion. If there's an expectation of more or better or different, then we're still processing. Only the mind craves more, better, and different, and thus the seeking continues. The real reason why continuing to meditate while claiming liberation is that we feel incomplete. If further evolution is to take place, it will unfold by itself. It's not something we could make happen by formal meditation after a certain point. I think that does it. Okay. So, what do you say to all that?
1: That's what we've been talking about, is that that's kind of like saying, That's the opposite of what I'm saying, just like essentially the difference between Advaiti thinking and my thinking and my experience is that I say everything has value, has full value, eyes open, eyes closed, that tree out there, this root, has value in terms of the self. When the experience is in the self, totally within the self, then all the experiences are enjoyable or not enjoyable in terms of the self in terms of the self means that you're inside the ocean of consciousness, everything has come inside it hasn't been thrown into the garbage heap of life it's been absorbed into the wholeness of pure consciousness and it exists there as an experience in order to become immortal or have the experience of infinity everything has to be included there has to be an experiencer, there has to be an I there has to be a knower. And if there's a knower, if there's an experiencer, if there's any experience whatsoever, and it doesn't matter how non-dual you've become, you can see the wall and the tree and the car. I'm saying that all that experience becomes the self, known as the self. But since it doesn't disappear, it takes on its full value. It's there anyway if you say, I am all this but I am not all that that's certainly a legitimate experience of, of this state that I talked about, this CC state it's separate, it has no meaning, everything, you kind of jumped into the absolute without incorporating everything else, now, when I close my eyes there's pure consciousness, when I open my eyes there's pure consciousness, when I sleep there's pure consciousness it's always there, it's been there forever in my sense, I have not Okay, it's always been there. Always and never will. Nothing disturbs it. If I'm in pain, it's there. If I'm not happy, it's there. If I'm happy, it's there. It's always there. So I agree with that. There's nowhere to go. However, I continue to experience everything else as well. And everything else that I experience kind of adds to, is within, is part of, the experiencer of the silence who's inside the silence inside the silence reveals what the silence is the silence is non-movement movement the subtle relative and the gross relative all is one continuum of consciousness one enjoyed understood experienced phenomenon of consciousness you know somebody complained about because I move around a lot that guy (laughs) <laughs> can't possibly have any experience. I mean, he's twitchy. He's, uh, <laughs> he's jumpy. He's jumpy. A person like that couldn't possibly. Well, we're all different. You know, a horse doesn't look like me, and and Rick doesn't look like me. We're all different, and we have different personalities. And whether we're awake or not awake, we, we all act differently.
0: Well, I mean, Nisargadatta was kind of jumpy himself. He was very animated, and, you know, shouting, and gesticulating, and smoking cigarettes constantly. <laughs> and he's regarded as one of the most enlightened people. All right. You know, our, well, good. I'm glad you're yeah. saying that.
1: Um, I did have one or two people say that, you know, yeah. kind of awful, you know. Just, but And, and there's, no, there's no real answer to what she's asking because what she's saying is completely true on its own level. Pure consciousness does exist. It doesn't move. It's always going to be there. Now, over the years, I realized that along with that pure consciousness, everything else is included. And you could say that it's pure consciousness as well, but it doesn't lose its value, it doesn't go away. I filled my basket with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I
0: thought of an example that might help to illustrate it, you know, using our ocean analogy from the beginning. Mm -hmm. One might say, okay, if this person has realized that he is the ocean, then continuing to meditate is like taking cups of water and dumping him into the ocean. What does he expect to add by taking cups of water and dumping him into the ocean? But the way we use the analogy, continuing to meditate would be more like yeah, okay, I got it, I'm the ocean, now let's explore within myself and see what can be discovered here. You know, this fish and this, this uh, you know, underwater you know, formation, this coral reef, this, there's an endless world for exploration and it doesn't mean that you're sort of becoming more oceany, you know, as a result of that explanation, you're just becoming more intimately familiar with the finer details of your own self, of what you already know yourself to be.
1: Okay, I like that analogy, and and looking at it a little more fundamentally is that, let's say you're this ocean of consciousness, and you see all kinds of, you see this, or you see that, or you see that, the ocean doesn't move, but you see all this stuff that's in it. The more of these points that you see, the more of them that are connected they're kind of like the microscope and telescope that looks at the... at the that is the self that looks at the wholeness, the self that looks at the ocean. And because there's more of those points and there's more connected unity to the whole thing, you you know, and this is just words now, it, it feels like the mirror of consciousness can see pure consciousness even bigger, even bigger, the more of that structure of consciousness you see, you're kind of cleaning the mirror and you see more and more of this purity there's more and more of the silence more and more and seeing more and more of the silence doesn't denigrate or put away the points of silence or the movement of silence quite on the contrary they complement each other there's controversy in, um, in Vedic circles as to how do you explain the Absolute how does the Absolute manage, manage to not eliminate because it's absolute, it's already everywhere. And the only way, my experience, is that there's something just as absolute as that. Equal to that. Which is? Pure consciousness, it's the knower. The knower is unbounded. His fluctuations are everywhere the same.
0: Are you Every- drawing a distinction here between the absolute and pure consciousness? Like they're two different things?
1: No, two absolutes. Three absolutes, sorry. There's, there's no other way to put it into words. Let's put it this way. If, the, if there was nothing but the absolute, nothing but silence, you wouldn't exist. That's not how I experience There's this silence and then there's this knower of the silence who is just as unbounded as the silence. Just as unbounded. And because he's just as unbounded, just because I'm just as unbounded, I can look at the silence and say, yeah, that's silence. Yeah, yeah, it's, un- it's, un- it's immovable. It's always been, there always will be, but so will I. How else can you say it?
0: And that knower of the silence, which is just as unbounded as the silence, that is all one knower that you and I and everyone else are? Or are you saying that somehow there's the Harry Alto knower and the Rick Archer knower and so on that are each just as unbounded as the silence? Yes. The second thing? Yes. So there's seven billion. Unbounded, There's trillions. unbounded knowers.
1: Yes, yes. Well, you have to know it to know it, but yes, huh. yes.
0: So I guess what you're saying is that every life form at the subtlest level where at the junction point of you know, the absolute and the relative or something contains an absolute body or an absolute form which is, you know, unbounded and, and just as silent, just as unbounded as the absolute as silence and that that is the instrument uh, through which the silence is known and lived. Yes. I think what I'd like to do now for the next bit is um, read some passages from posts that you posted blo- on your blog mm-hmm. and uh, just you know, use those as springboards okay. for discussion. Okay. And then maybe we'll come back to some of these other questions sure, again. Absolutely. So, one of your blog posts is entitled All Inclusive Awareness. And I took snippets out of these that just sort of jumped out at me a little bit. It's, uh, I am no more active with eyes closed or eyes open. Also, I am no more still with eyes closed or eyes open. Do you like that? <laughs> I don't know. For some reason that jumped <laughs> out at me.
1: And that's the case. You know, this pure consciousness, this overriding, overarching experience of pure consciousness is this immovable silence, right? And that immovable silence these are just words again, have become kind of like the eye of the self, the ears of the self, and they and whatever is seen, heard, tasted and touched feels like it's part of that silence, like that. So when I open my eyes it feels like I'm not going anywhere, I'm already there, I don't leave from anywhere because I've already left. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's that's the sense of an awakened person's consciousness that everything's been accomplished except all experiences are additions they take that there's an aspect of pure consciousness that's active that's constantly growing constantly becoming clearer and because of that clarity, like I said earlier, because of that clarity and the movement of consciousness, the silence of consciousness also appears to become greater, like that bird analogy, clear blue sky, right? Yeah. Clear blue sky, nothing there, zero. You don't see anything, but you know it's there. A bird flies across the sky or some, something across the sky, a plane, and suddenly the sky looks immense. Now, and the, in, in terms of pure consciousness, the more of those points that you see, those illuminations, those fluctuations, the bigger broader silence appears to be.
0: Yeah. Even I get that. I mean, yeah. w- when I do something really dynamic like traveling, you know, and I'm going through an airport or something like that. Yeah. The yeah. airports are particularly like cuz they're so chaotic. Oh yeah. You the, know, there's so I much like going them on too. In yeah. and and it but it, it seems like it stirs up the silence even more.
1: Yes. That you yes. You,
0: you feel even more contrastingly this deep profound silence in the yes. midst of all that chaos.
1: That's pretty well what I mean. Yeah. Yeah
0: and I I would imagine you also even see the the chaos and the people and the all the hustling and bustling as silence also
1: well imagine for a moment if you actually saw your consciousness imagine that that you can see silence Mm -hmm. see it what does it look like it looks like a field of self-awareness the seeing of it is inside of the experience and when the seeing of silence is inside the experience then it's like a cosmic eye. It does not eliminate what what it, what you would say or somebody else might say is out there. It says, I am that also because you're within the silence. The silence is everywhere. The sight doesn't come out of the silence when it's looking at the tree or the bird or the other person. It stays inside
0: as it were. Yeah. Okay. This Here's a, an excerpt from, this is a little bit longer one, from the, an excerpt from the blog post entitled The Wonderful Diversity of Unbounded Awareness. I hear personified intelligence, I see personified intelligence. And interrupt me if you want to comment as I go if, if I haven't finished. Okay. Uh, I am aware of and participate in a divine social structure of divine beings of nature. We cohabit all the layers of creation in complete harmony and natural awareness. The fullness and complete divinity of this space is my oneness with God. With the divine social hierarchy that is kept lively by the dynamics of the eternal relationship of God and His creations, I realize that the absolute does not break up and the relative does not emerge. I am both realities together in their fullness. And I actually think this other part is from later on in the thing, so maybe okay. you want to comment on that first part.
1: You would pick that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that stuff.
1: <laughs> what I'm talking about is the, the subtle, subtle. let's call it the subtle relative. Mm-hmm. The subtlest as- aspect of um, relativity where consciousness is very lively and these kind of experiences can be had. and and are being had by any any consciousness that's dwelled in pure consciousness for some time and become habituated to pure consciousness begins to see the subtle relative as well. The subtle relative is extremely close to pure consciousness, mm-hmm. extremely close. It, it's part of the fabric of pure consciousness. And in terms of God, you know, starting from the grossest level people are devoted to God, right? They're devoted. Yes. Uh, give me this. I, I, I want my children to be happy. I want whatever I want. And then, as consciousness grows, you begin to sense on a more on a feeling level of God's presence, right? Maybe in your heart. You say, oh, well, what is this? It feels like God is in my heart or in my consciousness somehow. And then, as that gets clearer and clearer perhaps the senses get involved in that experience as well. You know, great Christian mystics have described how they see the heavens and their and the hosts of heavens and all these hierarchies. And, and so have the Hindus and so have the Muslims, all of the and the Buddhists have all talked about these levels. I'm not talking about them as something that you go after. I'm talking about them as part of the experience of pure consciousness becoming clearer and clearer and seeing the fine fabrics of its own nature, your own nature. Mm. That's how I'm talking about
0: it. Here's something related to that. Okay. Uh, From the same essay, I experience innumerable beings of light flowing into a centered heaven that is my heart, a universal space of cosmic and individual dimensions, a huge cosmic cone of energy structured from millions of devas all streaming into my heart, the heart of God. I experienced this one great creator, the one great God, shining self-effulgent in the center of creation. What a wonderful secret.
1: Maybe we should have kept it a secret. (laughs) 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 Um, Yes, that's my experience.
0: and um, All the time? Or when you tune into it?
1: One of the things that happens, which is, which is kind of interesting, is a little bit of an offshoot on this. Years ago, I'd have to go somewhere. You know, if somebody had asked me a question, i said, say, oh, let me think, let me think, uh, yes, okay. And then um, at least I could go there and I could find an answer. Now, in the last so many years, I don't go anywhere. Whatever I experience comes out of my mouth. If it doesn't come out, I don't have it. Now, that particular experience is what to say about it, it's, it's there, and it's simple. Every experience is simple. It sounds glorious, and it is glorious, but it's also so simple it's not funny. And I have to say at this point is that all these experiences that, that I describe, they're infinitely simple. And the reason they're infinitely simple is because they're in terms of the self, which is the simplest state of awareness. Right? And if they're in terms of the self, that means they're close to the self, or they're reflected in the self, or they are the self, therefore they are very simple. Everybody can have them. Anybody can have them. That's what I'm trying to say. Anybody can have flashy experiences, but they come from that established state of silence.
0: Yeah, I think the reason you're saying that is that there's a, a concern you know, that people might get sidetracked by, f- by flash and, and just fascinated with that uh, while neglecting the simple foundation of it all. And, um, and I understand that, and people do do that. And the, but the, and the reason I bring up such experiences is that, you know, it's a little bit different. I, I feel that sometimes, um, you know, enlightenment or realization is dumbed down in, in terms of being only that silence and that's all yes. there is to it. Okay. And anything else that you're kind of beginning to elaborate on in terms of subtle beings or, you know, devas and all this stuff, you're just getting caught up in fluff, you know, you're getting caught up in mind candy that that is not really essential and important and you're just going to distract people. So I'm just trying to create a balance. Okay. In that respect. Uh, okay. and I think you, you, a person can go to either extreme, either extreme. Yes. But a really kind of Mature picture would be, yeah, the silence has has to be there as the foundation. And once we become really familiar with that silence, you you may begin to experience all this stuff. So deal with it, <laughs> enjoy it. Yeah. Yes. No, that's perfect. I yeah. like that. Perhaps a lot of these are, are so, so somewhat there's, along there's the same lines. Let's Let's see if you have one that is on the celestial level. Spiraling fields of light, personified intelligence. Here's here's a good one. Heartfelt clarity. This is from that essay. Recently, Catherine, my wife, experienced a tangible fullness and opening of her heart that has not diminished over time. Her experiences had the extraordinary effect of now revealing both of our heartfelt, heart-centered physiologies in my awareness as the structure, emergence, and expressions of unbounded unity. Yeah, that's well,
1: one of the one of the qualities. One of the benefits of pure consciousness is this. There's this quality of, um, you know, I'm of a Finnish heritage, so we don't like using the word love, (laughs) but yes, that's the feeling. Mm -hmm. That's the feeling is that within this knowingness, within this knowledge, within this pure consciousness, is is the growth of uh, love for not, for um, obviously first for your immediate family, but even for your society, even for the world. That kind of only happened to me in the last 10 years or so, you know. Mainly, I was, most of my life i I wanted more and more knowledge, more and more knowledge. But then, as that knowledge got bigger and bigger, then in terms of my own family, I noticed that there was just a much deeper feeling. And say when Kathy has a profound experience, the shared phenomenon of that experience created a much, you know, exponentially greater sense of, of feeling of expanded love. That's all that is. And that has grown in me, you know, that the fact that I'm out here talking to people means that I'm I'm wanting to share and I've re- really never wanted to do that in the past. I loved it on the so-called mountaintop by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I can't say much more about that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, well, if I read more experiences from your blog, it's going to be more of these celestial beings That's type, okay. of, type no of things. Problem. I, I'm forewarned. Yeah, because <laughs> I picked a lot of those things out. Here, well, here's one I haven't read. Uh, you can comment on. Then maybe we'll go back to some of these other questions. Okay. The structural intelligence, the very physicality of vibrating knowledge and love, I perceive as a highway between God and me. This solid connection, structured from universal con- universal existence and all of its layers, is known and experienced as one continuum of my individual to cosmic awareness. It feels, and is so concretely solid, that it seems I could actually physically traverse or walk this road to God. It is thick with interweaving layers of knowledge, love and light that literally put me into the presence of God. God's awareness is reflected in my awareness. I experience within my heart, my mind, and my senses, my whole body, a phenomenal, co-created, divine, terrestrial, and cosmic hierarchy that is precisely and perceptually related to all levels of my life. All aspects and functions of my body I experience as structurally and physically extending to this personified totality. This relationship unites all emerging events into one continual experience of individual unity.
1: I couldn't say it better myself.
0: <laughs> that kind
1: of covers what we've been talking about in many ways doesn't it? I think and so. I think the emphasis for me is that pure consciousness is not just pure consciousness. It involves the body, the senses, the mind, the environment, the universe. All of it is included in pure consciousness. The word pure means everything included to me. Uh, Let's call it unbounded consciousness. Unbounded to me doesn't mean exclusive to unboundedness only. It means inclusive of everything. Unbounded to me means wholeness. It's all there. And the body, our physiologies, are part of that experience. I guess many people kind of put the body down and the environment down and the gross relative. I would say that the so called physical, our physical existence, the story of our lives, our daily activities, our physiologies, when those aspects of consciousness or those aspects of our lives are seen in terms of the self, that's when. Awareness is at its full range. Pure consciousness is one fundamental first step. Perhaps a subtle relative, you start seeing some of that. Second step, you still have pure consciousness. Third step would be seeing everything in terms of the self, including the relative. And even a sense of the universal existence is there. Ultimately, you sense, I sense that the universe affects me. The stars, the galaxies, the moon, the sun, I, I can feel their influence. Even if I can't totally see them or anything, I feel their cosmic influence, as it were. So all of that is inclusive in this huge sense of wholeness that eventually evolves. And you eventually get to. Everybody gets to.
0: All right, so let's... Yeah, come back to some of these. Yes. <laughs> Did I already ask this one? What do you mean that the senses can experience the absolute? I don't think I did ask that. No, but we kind of covered that, but, you know, that was kind of a surprise to me.
1: You know, this is kind of interesting because I think anybody who has the experience of pure consciousness actually sees something. Only they don't think of it as seeing, they think of it as something. How do I know pure consciousness is there? There's some kind of sense that it's there. Thinking back on the witness when I first started having it, I wouldn't have said that I could see it, but I could. I, now I'd say, of course, I saw it. I saw it. It was there. It was a seeing as well as a knowing, and that's what I mean. That kind of seeing, that kind of hearing, that reverberation of pure consciousness actually has a sound. The sound is the intelligence becoming manifest into the uh, into the you know objective world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the senses get involved over time. It starts on a subtle level of feeling, subtle level of understanding and ultimately the senses get involved in the experience of even pure consciousness. That's what I'm saying.
0: There's a question about describing your experience right now this minute and how it's different than at other times but that kind of reminds me of a question which I want to ask which is that um, you know like a couple weeks ago you came over to my house and it took quite a while to give you directions to get to my house it was sort of like kind of like trying to guide a blind man through a maze or something, you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, and you've told me before, like, you know, you can easily get lost driving around town or something. So, what is your actual experience that makes it sort of difficult to deal with... And you, like in that panel discussion we had a, a, couple, a month or two ago, you said, you know, when you got married, you needed to get married because you couldn't even manage by... You couldn't write a check or anything. Kathy had to take care So, is there a sort of a sense that you kind of are so out there and, and reveling in cosmic realities that it's it's really hard to deal with mundane realities sometimes?
1: Like, no, like I was always li- I was always like that.
0: Yeah, but you've always been reveling mm-hmm. in cosmic yeah, realities. No, but I was always and uh, I'm not... Employed. So that's more of a personality
1: thing. It's very much an idiosyncrasy of my life. Yeah. You know, I was that way as a kid. I, I don't have a sense of direction. Uh-huh. I didn't have it okay. ever. Okay. And so it wasn't something that developed as a consciousness guru. It was always there.
0: So th- in your opinion then, somebody could be in every bit as... Evolve the state of consciousness as you are whatever state you're in and or yet, a lot more or yeah. a lot more and yeah. yet be an airline pilot or a, Absolutely, a brain surgeon totally totally, or something. but not me <laughs> <Yeah. Right. laughs> Don't
1: have me fly your plane. I'll go to Timbuktu or something.
0: <laughs> you're right in <into> the ground.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely As a matter of fact, if that's their tendency, they'll get sharper and clearer and more direction oriented. Yeah, I went the way that I naturally am.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> you so, know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so just to, to to you know beat home the point. So enlightenment is not in any way a uh, impediment to functioning in the relative in a practical world. You you would even say it's uh, it's an aid to it. If, you know if it's whatever
1: whatever talents you have, they'll grow yeah. those talents and. and And incidentally I'm not saying I'm particularly enlightened, I'm just telling you what my experience is, yeah, yeah. whatever it is, um, draw your own conclusion.
0: However enlightened one may get, you're saying it doesn't mean you're you're just going to be sort of non-functional. And we've seen that, you know, all these stories about yogis who just sort of have to have people feed them and everything or or they'll just go wandering off into the forest and they don't seem to be sort of really grounded in the practical world. That's true, but if, you know,
1: I'm an artist so that's highly focused. You see how detailed my art is. Very, very tiny little things I'm painting All Extreme focus, so I'm very directionally oriented when I'm painting. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, it's not like I'm not focusing. It's just somehow my sense a direction when I'm driving a car or something, <laughs> tends to be, uh, I've never had an accident uh, knock on wood or whatever, <laughs> not so not it's, it's not that I can't yeah. drive, it's sometimes I'm visual, you know, I look, if, if they remove the tree from a corner that I'm used to seeing a tree, at, uh, it takes me years to recover from that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay, all right, okay. What is the function of memory? You
1: know, memories are really interesting, isn't it? Have you ever thought of your memory, you know, you're a kid, you're a teenager, you, now you're a guy whatever age you are, and everything that you've gone through is just a memory in the past. And in a sense, the future is a memory too, in a, in, in the sense that you don't know what it is, but you, you envision it could be like this, and it's all sort of, uh, it's sort of something you remember. Now, my experience with States of consciousness or states of um, experience that I've had is that when I have them, it's like I remembered to have them. I remembered to have pure consciousness. Mm-hmm. I remembered to have this unified state of consciousness. I remembered that sight is part of that. It's there's this quality to my experience, and I think everybody experiences that memory you're remembering who you are, you're remembering mm. where you've been, you're remembering uh, wholeness. It's like it's there, so somehow you lost it, now you've gained it, and because you gained it, it must have been a memory. Yeah. Is that sense there? Right? You
0: know, in the end of the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna says to Lord Krishna, my memory has been restored, you yes. know, I know who I am now, or whatever words he used. It that, feels that way to yeah. me, that,
1: that memory is being restored, mm-hmm. because the natural experience is that human consciousness is is unbounded, is infinite. Where did it go? You forgot it. Hmm. You forgot to remember that you're awake. Hmm. It's that simple. Isn't that, isn't that something really?
0: Yeah, and yet, you know, this could also be misconstrued. I mean, you, it's not like you should walk around all day saying whoop, well, gotta try to remember the self, remember the self, remember That's the right. self. That's no. some kind of a like, No, it's, you know, it'd drive yourself crazy doing that. It's not that kind of memory.
1: No, it's, it's something that happens naturally and, yeah. and isn't something that can be contrived or thought of. Right. It's not that
0: kind of memory. Yeah, and theoretically an older person who is starting to lose their memory and you know, can't find their car keys, that kind of thing, they could very well be perfectly established in pure consciousness. It's not affected by that kind of memory loss that comes with older age. I so don't on. think so. Yeah.
1: And you know, this whole thing about appearance, what should a, an awakened person look like, you know, You don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to be anything specific to be awake. You know, wakefulness is so natural that it's available to anybody. Yeah. Right? Yep. Okay.
0: Tell me if you think you want to add anything to this. How does the intellect or understanding help the growth of consciousness
1: that we haven't already covered? I do like the fact that Every experience has an understanding component to it within the experience itself. One of the joys of the experience is that you understand it and you get it, and when you get it there's a sense of stability and permanence and continuity and connectedness between people and the environment when the understanding says, "Uh Aha! this is all part of that wholeness, So that's what I mean by intellect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of teachers out there these days teaching, saying all kinds of things, and this question is, pertains to that. Um, how would a person know that they are listening to the truth?
1: The sad thing about knowledge is that, let's say you're in a high state of consciousness and I'm in a lower state of consciousness, then I will hear what you say on my level and you will speak from your level. Now, maybe they can <laughs> go together a little bit because you said something profound if I trust you, but generally speaking the the movement of consciousness moves from higher to lower.
0: In yeah, a situation?
1: Yes, that's the way it is. And What can you do about that other than keep speaking what you know and and ultimately or eventually somebody will hear it or not hear it up to their up to their lights.
0: And I would say something about this question, that there should be some kind of resonance with one's experience, you know? I mean, if somebody's saying something that's supposed to be truth, if it is, there should be some kind of resonation or some kind of um, connection on the level of your experience that, that kind of verifies it for you or makes it seem right to you or something. Know what I mean?
1: Everybody has some intuition, right? Yeah. And, and some d- deep in ground, even if they don't know how to talk about it. Pure consciousness is universal, therefore, somewhere you have it and you have intuition. Everybody has some intuition, and yes, you intuit that, yeah, this person's saying the truth. This, hmm. I want to hear more of what he's saying. I agree with that,
0: yes. Yeah. And there's actually a flip side to that, which is that people get that intuitive aha when they listen to or read something profound and then they think that that's basically all there is to it is that intuitive aha and they don't realize how much vast uh, potential for maturation of actual experience there is
1: we all tend to when we when we have let's say we have a profound experience everybody tends to say this is all there is right (laughs) oh I've made it now
0: (laughs) yeah what is the process that allows love to grow
1: you know, when we were first talking about consciousness and the movement of consciousness, mm-hmm. the movement of consciousness is the movement of love. It's the movement of uh, connectedness. Connectedness means unity. Unity means deep feeling. So, if consciousness grows, then the sense of unity grows. The sense of this movement of consciousness, this continuity, this love, is a byproduct of consciousness becoming aware of itself and you becoming the knower of that experience, the knower of that experience is the the being, is the individual that feels love. It's not the Absolute that feels love. You, as an I, are the loving entity that can communicate and talk and and help and whatever. Mm
0: -hmm. I I read a nice interview, a nice lecture by Maharshi the other night that I had heard him I heard a recording of a thousand times but basically he was saying that you know love grows by culturing the habit of not minding the crude and minding more and more the subtle, you know, and, and just the the sort of the subtler values get more habituated and then her appreciation grows by virtue of that and with more refined appreciation love grows.
1: That's essentially what I'm saying, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> what is the dying process and can, can we skip it? <laughs> okay, the dying process. You're the one who gave me these questions. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> that one I should have
1: skipped. <laughs> we should have skipped that one. Not, the, the dying process is the, is the process of being born, waking up. That's what the dying process is. Oh, okay. Is. In
0: that sense, yeah.
1: Yes. Sure. That's what it is. Yeah. Imagine if nothing was passing, if nothing was ending, mm. then everything would die eventually. There would be, there'd be no rebirth. Now, okay, if you want to talk about illusion, I think death is the biggest illusion. And it's an illusion because human beings can be immortal. They can they can gain immortality.
0: In their physical bodies or on the level of consciousness?
1: There are many levels to the body. Mm. Okay. And ah, good point.
0: Well you were talking earlier about some kind of unbounded level of the individuality that interfaces with the pure silence. So presumably it's not only unbounded, but it's eternal.
1: I'm not a big advocate of that the absolute is the experiencer of unbounded infinity. I'm a proponent of that the individual on the subtle level can be and will be and is eternal. Okay? An individual has. Now, an individual in the sense that it's an awake individual. Right. That means immortality to me. That experiencer will never die. Mm
0: -hmm. And even if it's not an awake individual, I mean, how about my dog? I mean, is there some essence to the dog that's eternal and that essence is going to kind of grow in its capacity to appreciate its, its own eternal nature over time? I believe that's true
1: you know going on to a bigger and bigger level and you know how do you answer questions you know they say the universal end eventually but uh, to me it's like the universe goes to sleep just like we do and we wake up we don't know what's the next universe or the next one if there is one yeah Um, where's it where's the universe gonna go
0: and actually my next question uh, ties in with this next question which is how do I know you're not making all this up which is that when you say a thing like that the individual is eternal and we all go to sleep when the universe dissolves I mean is that just something you read in some book or is it so, is there some aspect of your personal experience that kind of substantiates that for you
1: when you have the experience of pure consciousness pure consciousness is unbounded and you see the fluctuations of them pure and those fluctuations are also eternal those fluctuations are the universe I can see the universe in those I can intuit it and to a certain degree see it that's just my little old consciousness how is it that i can see that i know that the universe is my consciousness i can see it
0: it's an expression of your consciousness it's an or expression contained of
1: my consciousness. it's contain it's not the other way around right it's, the universe is contained within my and yours too and right. everybody's yeah. human consciousness is the movement of consciousness is the wholeness of consciousness and it's the material universe as well the material universe is also part of that consciousness. now once you know that you see that you intuit that there's no end to the universe either there can't be, it's eternal if the absolute exists then everything is absolute, if I exist then I'm absolute, you can't discount my body or anything and say well that's not real how is it not real if the absolute is everywhere
0: well let's take this piece of paper it's paper but it's also the absolute in its essence appearing as paper and I could take a match to it and it would be ashes and smoke and gases and whatnot. But So it no longer exists as paper, it has been converted chemically into other things which, and maybe the atoms themselves haven't been changed, they've just been totally rearranged and dispersed so there's no localized piece of paper anymore. It's been turned into other things. Every atom in your body was once part of a star.
1: Okay, this gets awful abstract. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, but I'll just say one thing here. In terms of pure, unbounded consciousness, which is eternal, mm-hmm. even the coming and going of the universe is like that. Right. That's all I can say. So sure. it's coming. Am I to say that comes back again? I don't know. Right. In terms of eternity, even the universe is just a fleck of time.
0: Yeah. Okay, I don't know if that answers the question but it it's, does, b- if it's pretty know. abstract. <laughs> it's very abstract, <laughs> right. yes. Why do so many people not have inner sight and by inner sight I guess we mean awakening? Yes,
1: why is that? To a person who's gone through these stages from kidhood on it seems inconceivable that it isn't recognized more because it just needs to be recognized. Um, even the first stage of pure consciousness, why don't more people have it? My sense is that everybody has it and they don't get it.
0: They're overshadowed.
1: They're, they're looking somewhere else. Yeah. It's not even, yeah, they're overshadowed, but I don't even find that word appropriate because I think it's there. <laughs> I've described pure consciousness to many, 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 many people and, and they go, yeah. And it, like that, it's gone. But they got it for a second yeah. because it's always there. Yeah. How is that possible that they forget it the next second? But it seems to be.
0: Well, if you're watching the movie, you know it's like you're really into the movie, and some guy sitting next to you can say, "Now look carefully. See that little sparkly thing there? That's actually the screen. See, it's this big flat screen." And you say, "Oh yeah, I see what you mean." But wow, well, I'm really into this movie, and I'm going to keep watching it. <laughs>
1: yeah. I guess that's why we're here on Earth, to discover why we're not having the full experience. And some people have it, and they want to pass it on to other people, right? or try to.
0: Yeah, and maybe it's the nature of the age that it's rare. It's kind of tough, yeah. It's it's an intense time we live in. Uh, Maybe, you know, 100 years, 200 years from now, it'll become more common, and it would seem absurd to have conversations about it almost, because it's like everybody experiences it what do you think of free will or is everything determined
1: well that was a question that came up from people more than one person asked me that Mm -hmm. you know if you think of any event let's say there's an event like we're meeting here it's an event it was kind of created by a previous event by a there's always a previous event to the event.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's trace this event back in time to when we first met. It started there. Yeah. But even before that, there before was Before that, event. we
0: moved to Fairfield. And, yeah, so there's yeah. events,
1: events, events, events. Yeah. We go to the first event. Mm-hmm. That first event is pure consciousness. Yeah. There's a fluctuation in pure consciousness that started this event. Now, that fluctuation is eternal. At that point, if you're aware of that first fluctuation of this stream of events and there's no prior events, at that point you could say you have free will, you're at the hub of the wheel, you could go in million directions. Yeah. At that point you have this sense that free will is dominant, you can go in any direction. Mm-hmm and all these streams start there. But only at that point where there's no prior events, that would be an awakened mind. There's no prior event.
0: Yeah. event. That's a good answer. I think the hub of the wheel is a good metaphor. Yeah. You know, if you're at the hub, you can go down any spoke. Yes. If you're already out on a spoke, you're, you're committed yes, to you that, you that can't spoke. You can not go to that spoke. Right, right. Yes. 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 And uh, there's that verse in the Gita which goes something like, uh, For many branched and endlessly diverse are the intellects of the irresolute, but the resolute intellect is one-pointed. So the resolute intellect is like you're at the hub, you know, and from sitting there, you can move in any direction, you know, you're not sort of already bound and committed to something that's controlling you.
1: On a more mundane level, think of it, it all feels like free will, right? Yeah. Hey, I want to move my arm. Well, I decided to move that arm, so that feels like free will. you decided not to. So I'm enjoying... The sense of free will, -hmm. perhaps it's it's based on previous events, but my enjoyment is of the free will. So that's on a more mundane level. But that's how we enjoy our lives. We think it's all free will. And in a sense, if we think it is, how is it different from free will?
0: Yeah. Philosophers have debated this one forever. From a practical standpoint, I think the point you brought out is really great, which you know, a lot of people feel just sort of conditioned and bound, and they're just rolling along, and their life is out of control. But there really isn't, in your experience now, isn't there a real sense, of sitting at the hub, sitting at the junction, the, the kind of the point at which all streams of life from which they all emerge, isn't there a real sense of sort of being at the master switchboard? Yes. And that there is this kind of freedom. Not only in terms of subjective unboundedness, but even freedom in terms of decision making. Um,
1: Yes. Yeah. It also feels like thoughts that you have on that level find their fulfillment. Yeah. And do they always? Some take time, but they tend to happen. (laughs) Tend to happen.
0: More, yeah, more regularly, for sure. The other day, my wife was on hold with some company and they were playing this stupid song over and over again and she had it on speakerphone and when she finally got off, the song was like going through my <laughs> head <laughs> you I, I finally turned on Pandora to listen to some <laughs> other music to get rid of. Do you, do you ever have that kind of silly, you know, conditioned kind of stuff?
1: Not really, probably in other ways, uh-huh. maybe not with music, yeah,
0: <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. What more can I do to speed up the process of gaining pure awareness?
1: You know we talked about meditating and um, obviously eating good food, having a healthy lifestyle, all of those affect what you experience, Yeah. right? Fortunately once you have a certain degree of wakefulness that influences you less and less but on the path as it were then for instance a meditation technique it certainly helped me Mm -hmm. and you know when I started meditating as a young man immediately stuff started happening in a way that wasn't happening prior to that you know understanding depth of experience on you know all kinds of stuff yeah very rapidly developed I could see it and feel it and know it so yes meditation good food
0: you weren't drinking a six-pack and smoking a joint every night. That's right. I that wasn't that, that kind of thing helps. I say that facetiously, but I've been in touch with people who are kind of interested. You're obviously not in Denver. Yeah, <laughs> or, or Seattle. I've been in touch with people who are interested in spirituality, and 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 then you know, but they have a drinking problem, or they're they're doing something which seems to be hampering them, you know, well at the same time. Like the elephant analogy, the elephant washes itself off in the river, then it gets out and throws mud on its back again. We don't want to be lacking in compassion for people who have problems with that sort of thing, but we also don't want to say that there's any, um, that, that such things can be accepted as legitimate paths to enlightenment. I, I don't know. My
1: whole angle is, understanding, right? Right. I mean if you read my blogs or anything else or how I speak is I try to convey my experience and hope that somebody gets something out of that and invariably of the some hundreds of people who commented on my uh, last talk quite a few of them got something whatever that something was so yeah that's that's what I do okay
0: all right, I think we've pretty much covered all these questions. They're all just sort of variations on, yeah. on the same theme. So just back to some other questions okay. here. In, in terms of your own experience, did you ever have in the last interview, we talked about this experience you had? where you were wondering what all this unboundedness was that people were talking about, and then you had the experience of losing it for 10-15 minutes, and you realized then, and that was horrible, and you realized then that you had actually had it all your life.
1: I did saying, I ever tell you the experience I had with this word bliss? Did I think
0: it? you told that in the last interview too. Okay, I did that you know, People yeah. were saying, you're you saying, what is all this bliss? <laughs> yes, yes, okay, I got yeah. it.
1: Well, but the point that we were making then
0: is... Well, the point I was going to ask you is, okay, did you, other than that 15-10-15 minutes, did you ever have a dark night of the soul? You know, any kind of like really difficult time you went through where, uh, you know... The
1: worst period that I uh, went through was in my late teens for about a year or two, in my early 20s, when I had the separation kind of stuff. Up until that point, I had this kind of unit of uh, sense that everything was, was consciousness, was light. And then it shrunk or separated into this kind of um, separation where I was aware that consciousness was there, but I wasn't part of
0: it. Your individuality wasn't part of it. You know, that, right. Are you talking about a cosmic consciousness kind of thing, where there was a separation between yes. an absolute and relative? And
1: it was very clear. At night, it was 100% there. During the day, it was 100% there, but I didn't like it. Hmm. and it affected my uh, happiness level my contentment level I wasn't very I wasn't very happy that everything was separate I wasn't happy and it was it was a kind of a tense time for me for about two years Hmm. and then I had some dramatic experiences of a subtle nature that changed that. that would be kind of
0: Oh, you want to tell us what those were
1: these kind of more divine experiences, so the subtle relative experiences where I started having along with that witness, that silence came this more divine level of experience, there was this more uh, celestial level of experience until it became so intense that that I was almost lost in it. But I wasn't because there was always that, call it a witness if you like, or pure consciousness was clear enough and big enough and full enough that it didn't disappear mm. along with this divine experience or these celestial experiences so they were there simultaneously
0: mm.
1: so all that disturbing separation disappeared they were close enough, that the, the subtle relative this, the subtle levels of creation, the heavens, the, the you know the beings that exist on those levels were there along with this um, unboundedness. Now there's an interesting point here you know there's a question in here somewhere that says these divine levels of existence whether you call them Christian or Vedic or whatever you want to call them do they have a purpose? you know most people don't think of them as having a purpose but those those subtle levels of creation are where the laws or the all these aspects of nature function how this is even in Christian um, I shouldn't say even in in Christian um, writings of the saints who wrote about those levels they talked about you know these different levels how this level creates this on the relative and this level creates this on the. so those subtle levels of creation also have their personifications mm-hmm. those are the hosts that live on those levels now I'm not in any way advocating trying to look for these or go for them or use them as techniques I'm just saying that these subtle levels of creation have a function there the, there's how light how air how earth how all the elements of nature go through this process of becoming human beings is orchestrated on those divine levels and in the future if it's appropriate I'll get more into that <laughs> Why do you hesitate well because it's 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 a field that nobody talks about and, and isn't experienced by many people it seems
0: all the more reason to talk about it
1: Well, in your case, yes. (laughs) But um, yes, you always want to leave something for the future, right?
0: Yeah, P.T. Barnum, yeah.
1: There's a tremendous amount. But I want to emphasize that the reason you, anybody could see these or put them in their proper perspective is because there's a there's a consciousness level that's silent enough, pure enough that all of this celestial stuff and the gross relative stuff is incorporated into that experience.
0: Mm. Okay. So you're saying that the realization or perception of these subtle things is what. Kind of got you out of this dark night, and it's in, and it's interesting because your experience follows a, a trajectory. I know it's hard to uh, say. Ajahn <laughs> Ajahn can't say that here. Oh, screw them, <laughs> that. <word. laughs> okay, but it follows a path that um, is very much um, in line with what Maharshi Mahesh Yogi laid out in terms of seven states of consciousness. He said, you know, this cosmic consciousness state, you're in, established in and as pure consciousness, and there's this separation, and then. The gulf begins to be bridged, and there's this sort of unity of God consciousness, and then eventually total unity, and. uh I don't hear people talking so much about that unity of God-consciousness. Uh, they, they either seem to... Sometimes I wonder, are people just in cosmic consciousness and they think it's the final state? This, you know, real self-realization and, and separation from the relative? Or have they somehow jumped over, leapfrogged over the God-consciousness stage and they, they've arrived at unity, everything in terms of the self, without having ever Explored or having needed to explore all this kind of subtle relative phenomena
1: There's two things that aren't talked about much this state of celestial perception in relation to pure consciousness and then after unity experiences Mm -hmm. after a unified uh, wholeness of experience there's an that's when these senses and the body and all these things move into the absolute and everything is seen from the absolute level. So those two areas aren't discussed much for some reason. Now, I don't like to talk about the seven Maharishi seven states of consciousness because it, the implication is that I've gone through those states. Let's just say that I've had experiences that seem to correspond to those states throughout my life.
0: Why wouldn't you want to imply that you had gone through them?
1: Just because I don't. Out of can't. humility, sort of thing? I'm right? not really humble by nature. You've seen that. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. Okay, I seem to have those understanding and experience. I went waking, dreaming, sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. We all have that. CC was kind of this kind of witness, was there for years and years and years, didn't think anything of it. Cosmic consciousness. Yes, yeah. and, then, and then there were celestial experiences for many, many years. And then that evolved into a kind of a unitative state that. You know, unity consciousness, whatever you want to call it, which is there now. You know, I have this mm-hmm. unitative state, but those are really simple states of consciousness because they don't really involve the senses or the body or the environment in a profound way. The,
0: the way answer, you describe them or the way you experience
1: them? The way I experience them. I feel my experience started once I realized that everything, I am everything. Mm. So that's when it got interesting. That's when it got interesting <laughs> to me and we haven't gone there yet and, and you know a year or two from now I'll, I'm actually, I can't believe it, but I'm actually you know like everybody else I'm now writing a book. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I will state all that in it.
0: Okay and then we'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't even know what to ask I mean I'm, I'm just poking around here asking what I can but um... I'm not familiar with your experience, obviously, as you are. So there's all kinds of things I you could probably say that haven't even occurred to me to ask you to say.
1: I'm trying to stay practical as much as I can, you know, and yeah. it's, it's hard, but. Um
0: well, you know, I always found when I was teaching meditation that it was nice to give people a wide range. So, I even in an introductory lecture, I'd give some really practical, down-to-earth benefits, and then I'd kind of take them on a vision of possibilities of ultimately, if you develop this area to its fullest extent, what could it be? And then I'd come back again to some another area, really down-to-earth benefits, then take it all the way to its extreme. And that way, whoever's sitting in the audience, you're you're kind of hitting their their particular Sweet spot.
1: There's millions and millions of people and teachers and gurus and movements and New Age this and New Age that who are dealing with those evolving issues, you know, up to up to and including, you know, this first stages of enlightenment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there are very few people dealing with these um, post-Unity experiences or GC experiences.
0: Because there isn't much of an audience for them or because there isn't anyone qualified to talk about them? Both. Yeah. I guess if there were much of an audience for them, then members of that audience would become the teachers who would begin talking about them. So you're just saying it's really not as relevant to our collective evolution yet as it may be somewhere I'm in the just line. not
1: that interested <laughs> because having said that, I am interested in that because... Well,
0: you're totally interested in terms of that having been your own experience. Yes. You're just saying you don't feel too much inclination to talk about it because there aren't that many people who are really ready to, to hear it. That's what it sounds like to me. But you're a lot right. more but, than I thought. I I didn't expect. Yeah, to have, and you'd be surprised. I then. didn't.
1: I didn't expect to have such a response from you. Know, yeah. all your... I really didn't. So is your book
0: gonna pull any punches? Or are you really gonna spill? I'm gonna say everything. You are gonna spill all the beans? Every in. bean yeah. that all every right. bean that I have. <laughs> Good luck with that. It takes people years to write books, but hopefully you have a fair amount of time to put into well, it. Well, I've
1: I've already probably written 20% of it.
0: Great. Great. Okay.
1: You know, I, what there was this one person said, said something like, who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't think I'm anybody special. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm any different. I think everybody has the potential. Everybody has the ability to have every experience. If I can have it, anybody can have it. That's my attitude. Right. Okay? and Okay. It, and it's an honest, true attitude. I... I mean, look, I don't take up any more space. I take less space up than you do, so
0: <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's more questions from this person who asked the question about why you would continue to meditate. It might might bring out a few new little nuggets if I ask a few of these. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. We already talked about you know why continue to meditate, and uh, just I'll just throw out some of this stuff and see how you respond okay. to it. True awakening or self-realization is the end of all states. It's knowing the self, or Brahman, as who we are, who we really are. Out of this awakening, all the virtues unfold as old conditioning falls away. But there is no step-by-step process, no illusory self-noting change. Although revelation continues on the subtler levels, until all conditioned responses fall away and we are fully integrated and at rest in the heart of being, we don't need to make any effort to have grace unfold once the opening occurs. The self reveals itself to itself quite naturally.
1: It's true. I don't have any problem no with that. No argument
0: with any of that? <laughs> so, not
1: really. Yeah, um, so what,
0: whatever you're doing is not in violation with the the, the question she's raising. In terms of practicing TM City program or, you know, doing this or doing that, it's all...
1: Okay. What she's saying is correct. Mm-hmm. But the implication is that stop You don't stop doing stuff, stop enjoying stuff, sit in the silence like Buddha.
0: Yeah, there's nothing more to explore, there's nothing not more to... That I don't
1: uh, buy right um, because I've always seen more. The silence is there. The silence is huge, unbounded. The movement of that silence, the revelations of that silence keep unfolding. I see more and more. Even the gross relative, I I go to national parks, enjoy myself, I don't sit like Buddha at the base of the trail, I climb to the top of the trail like everybody else, I have a good time. Mm -hmm. I don't see advocating going into a retreat and staying there with the eyes closed for the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. And I don't think that's quite what she's saying because uh, she has an active life and goes to the gym and has a couple of kids that she visits with and all that stuff. I think what she's saying is that if you're really at rest in the self, then there's no seeking after more subtle experiences, which and I, I, I mean... I agree with what you're saying here, I, I'm not sort of arguing her position, I'm just using that as a as a stimulant to to bring out more stuff. What you're saying, you know, for instance, she said there are a thousand one experiences that Mother Shakti can show us, but truth is one. The yogic path does not necessarily lead to rest, the energy gets turned on and just keeps circulating. Only an act of grace can bring the energy or consciousness to rest. But what you're saying is you arrived at rest decades ago, and in that, in that state of rest can be a platform, or uh, foundation upon which to enjoy further exploration, that there's no end to exploration. It's not like,
1: yeah go ahead. The waking up process doesn't eliminate uh, anything, and I just repeat myself, mm-hmm. it does not eliminate the enjoyment of the relative, it increases the enjoyment of the relative. Right. Increases the enjoyment of the subtle relative. Increases the enjoyment of the silence. Mm-hmm. All of it is increased, increased, increased. It's like you're owning more and more. You're not owning less and less. If you have an experience of silence that overpowers you, mm-hmm. overpowers your intellect, overpowers, maybe that's a strong word, or overshadows everything else, then I could see that, yes, you would say, let just enjoy the silence. There's nothing you can do now, There isn't anything you can do to the silence. The silence is the silence, the the pure consciousness is there. The most wonderful thing about silence is that it's not silent.
0: (laughs) I think that's the key point right there. If silence is nothing but silence, and you know, once you're established in it, Then all this stuff about devas and other experiences, it it seems like a, a getting away from that pure silence. It's a stirring up of something which you finally had arrived at, and you know, pure silence, oh boy, you're there, why stir it up again? But what you're saying is that silence isn't just silence, it isn't just flat absolute, that it's a field, it's a world of possibilities. And if you rest there long enough and start to see things clearly enough, you're going to begin to want to explore those possibilities. And I'm not even saying that
1: you're not seeing them in terms of the silence. You are. You're yeah. seeing them in terms of the self. Let's call it the big self. Yeah. Rather than silence. So
0: exploring these possibilities doesn't take you out of or away from in any Ultimately, sense the big self. It, yes. it's, not, it's not detracting or diminishing and, and there's not a sense of I'm not going to be content until I have explored all these things. It's more like established established in contentment this is unfolding and it's a joy to to be a participant in that experience. I do agree that... I don't mean to put words in your mouth, I'm just putting words in your
1: mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Everything in pure consciousness does unfold from within itself, of course. And there's this, you want to give it, you want to give some uh, validity to attention, Mm -hmm. then I'll give some validity to attention if I put my attention on an aspect of understanding then understanding unfolds and it unfolds automatically but it seems that the initial impulse has to be put there Mm. has to be started, take a direction and, and all this stuff unfolds now. There's an ongoing continuity to my life that has never stopped being clearer and clearer. Pure consciousness has not stopped unfolding from within itself and become a greater and greater silence. Mm -hmm. I don't usually even like using the word silence because pure unbounded silence isn't even an experience. You could say that's a nothing state. How do you experience nothing? By the time you have an experience, there's something happening. Mm -hmm. Pure consciousness, there's something happening. That something happening is the movement of consciousness on the subtlest level that subtlest level is um, enjoyable. The subtlest level percolates into the subtle relative, percolates into the gross relative. It's one continuum of experience, and it keeps unfolding. For instance, I can't immediately go to Mars or land in and see the, what's going on there, right? Mm-hmm. So that's an unknown. Right. Pure consciousness is kind of like that. Every time something unfolds, it also unfolds a whole field that you haven't seen before. There's always more. It's enjoyable. It's just as enjoyable as going to the grocery store or eating good food or having a relationship with somebody or your family. Knowledge becomes the enjoyment aspect of your life. So more unfolds from within itself. You say, oh, that's pretty cool. And so more unfolds. And every time more unfolds is a bigger puzzle.
0: And as it unfolds, it, it's, it's still pure consciousness, right? It's, I mean, absolutely. it's not like something has kind of split off from pure consciousness and become non-pure consciousness. It's, and it's still the ocean. It's, it's still the ocean. To get back to the metaphor we used at the very beginning of the interview, you're just, you've discovered some new little coral reef to explore in the same ocean that you are. And, and that coral reef is contained within you. It always has been. It's just that you hadn't really tuned in on it. You know, and oh, now, now it's here. Let me get my scuba gear and, and explore this reef because it's part of me. Let's
1: bring it even closer to home, like okay. what I'm doing right now. Uh-huh. This is one of the fish in the ocean, me talking. Right. Otherwise, why am I talking? Yeah. I enjoy it, I want to share it. You enjoy it, you want to share it. That's one of the fish in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> why should I stop? Yeah. Why should I stop? Right. And why should, why should not more and more people get it? Why not? That's what it's all about. Now, to say that you don't have to do anything, go ahead and do nothing then. Don't talk about me. Don't make comments about me if there's nothing to do. Don't. Leave me alone. (laughs) You know, you don't have to believe me, that's okay. You know what I'm saying? The reason we go forward is because there's more to go forward to. It doesn't matter how awake you are. Mm. Why do all the gurus open their mouths and have people? I'm not a guru. I just have an experience that I'm wanting to relate. And uh, I enjoy relating it now. I didn't enjoy it as much in the past. I do now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of what I do.
0: I think the person who's asking these questions has, a very, has the same fundamental motivation, which is to share knowledge, to clarify people's misunderstanding, to prevent people from getting deluded or sidetracked or something. And you know, she has her take on how things are, and it contrasts with your take on how things are. And I would love to be able to sit you down with such people and uh, and have you hash it out, and rather than me trying to play middleman, but it's not working that way. But it actually does provide a a stimulus for bringing out more information. You know, if you it it, does, if, yeah. if you just all took questions that were all were all just entirely in in tune with your viewpoint, there would be certain areas that that wouldn't pe- come out. Yeah, that wouldn't come out, and certain people who would be left out of the discussion because their few, viewpoint wouldn't be taken into consideration. I agree, but
1: it isn't just this one person. There's sure, There's, of there's the, whole.
0: She represents a whole niche of an perhaps, entire
1: a, niche of, and uh, there's other niches of of the what the the silence people
0: (laughs) there's that and I mean the Hare Krishna people are going to hear you one way and the Christians are going to hear you another way and say you're going to hell I mean there's all these people with different perspectives I agree with that
1: but the people you're going to help are the people who are receptive it's always like that and this lady can help the people who are receptive to her yeah right
0: I don't think and having you answer her questions can help people too because there, as you say there's a whole Subcategory, there's a whole niche of people who think a certain way. And personally, me as an interviewer, I'm in a great position because I, I get exposed to a different perspective every week. And nobody can blame you. <laughs> yeah. So I love kind of like uh, having uh, this flavor and this flavor and this flavor and, and just kind of like exploring all these different perspectives. And personally, I think that's a healthy thing. And so it's like the Democrats and Republicans. The, the, the Democrats are all watching MSNBC. The Republicans are all watching Fox News. So they're they're each in their own bubble. They don't mix much. Yeah, they, there's a divide. They don't mix. They're, they're kind of there's a gulf between them. So it's kind of useful, I think, to especially in the spiritual world to mix it up and to explore different perspectives and and use that as a way of just like what you're saying, exploring. Ex- well, I do broadening ex- the range now, of your experience.
1: I accept their experience, Mm -hmm. they don't accept mine. I totally respect the fact that they're talking about pure consciousness. I have that same experience. Mm -hmm. Even if I wasn't having the experience that I say I'm having, intellectually I would hedge my bets and say that everything is included. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Rather than nothing is included. Yeah. I'd hedge my bets and say God is there, the angels are there, the devas are there, the relative is there and it's all good.
0: Well, that's so, kind of what I'm doing because I don't experience yeah. all those things, yeah. but it intuitively makes such sense to me. Yes. Uh, and intellectually also. Yes. I mean just understanding how creation works, it's got to sort of be this way, that uh, it's almost, I can almost taste it, you know, even though I don't experience it. So,
1: and, and yes, I'm not fond of the word illusion, even though it describes a certain state of consciousness, mm-hmm. and, and it's clear that the elusive quality of the relative is there, up until you understand and see it in the self. If you can act, imagine for one moment if your eyes and your ears are seeing the subtle relative and there's no gap between the fluctuations of the si- most silent level that is possible for human consciousness or my conscience let's say, to experience and there's no gap between those fluctuations and the subtle relative, the divine relative, and no gap between the divine relative and the gross, so-called gross realm. What if there was no gap? If you could see that as a continuum, mm-hmm. what would you say that all was? I say it's all consciousness. I say it's all a continuum because that's how I see it. That's how I know it. That's mm. how I hear it. Even intellectually, I can't conceive of a state where there's only, only unbounded stillness. Right. Now, that unbounded stillness, this is interesting, is does permeate the subtle relative, does permeate the gross relative. So it is all unbounded silence on, immovable silence. By immovable, it looks immovable. There is a state of nothingness, but you don't have that experience. You kind of intuit that there's this vacuum state somewhere. There's no experience there. By the time you have an experience, There's already, let's call that pure intelligence or pure consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's a self-knowing field. It's kind of a warmed up. Warmed up, yeah, Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And that warmed up feel, you can see what it is. You can actually see it, you can hear it, you can even touch it. And the reason you can have a sensory experience of pure consciousness is because it's your experience, ultimately. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. it's your your personal experience. How can the absolute be personal? Well, it can be personal because it's an experience. If it wasn't an experience, you couldn't have it. Since it is an experience, somebody's having it. That somebody is ultimately seen as a f- physiology as well, ultimately. And as soon as there's a connection to God and the subtle levels, you begin to see it on a more cosmic level. But the individual, the I-ness of the individual is still there and is rediscovered. Maybe people lose that I-ness, you know, in some states of consciousness, but it's regained it's regained. If the state of immortality exists, then somebody has to have that state. Otherwise it's not immortality. No, otherwise it doesn't exist, I it guess. Does, Otherwise it doesn't exist. If you just merge into the absolute, then that's the same as death. Now, if consciousness survives, then something survives. What is that something that survives? The individual who is cosmic The individual who is unbounded, the individual, the person, the the I-ness of consciousness. That's kind of interesting because the experience of pure consciousness, the experience of the I at a certain point is universal, it's everywhere. The I is everywhere. To recognize that I as universal and personal at the same time, that's the trick. That's the trick of awareness, that's Mm. the trick of enlightenment. They're there together. There's no difference between the unbounded eye and the personal eye. They're the same thing, but they're there together. They exist together, and that togetherness of the eye, the eye is everywhere, but the eye is still focused at the center of the wheel, the hub of the wheel. Mm. So let's say consciousness starts expanding from this center and goes in all these directions. If the I-ness of the pure consciousness of that first initial experience is seen as the self and it doesn't lose itself in the pieces. Let's say that all the pieces of consciousness join each other they're like a web, right? Mm -hmm. So the web can get as big as you like but because all the points in the web are joined, they continue to be pure consciousness. They continue to be wholeness. As a matter of fact, the more of these points, the more of these layers, the more of these even relative phenomena ultimately that you experience, the more they reveal the self, the nowhere. The more they reveal, even the silence.
0: The world reveals Brahman.
1: The world is that saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well that was a little far out and abstract for some people maybe, but it might be a good stopping point. Yeah, I think so. So, this is good. I guess I'll just make some concluding remarks. and um, You probably don't have any final comments because that was a good one, but if you want to, you can...
1: Okay, I'll I'll make uh, just one comment. I do tend to go out there sometimes with...
0: That's good stuff, I mean, and I could start probing you on that and all, but... but,
1: Everything in pure consciousness, everything on these levels, everything has a practical day-to-day, the story of my life, my daily life, is the same story as it is on the subtle level. It's the same story that is on the absolute. It's one story. And everybody has that story. Everybody has that connectedness. Everybody is the totality of a consciousness. I know that sounds out there, but totality is a simple state. It's not a complicated state. Pure consciousness is a simple state. The subtle, relative, and the gross relative all tied together. It becomes knowable and becomes simple. It doesn't become more complicated because everything is revealed. No one aspect of consciousness hides any other aspect of consciousness. And if it doesn't hide it, it becomes clear and simple. Yeah. There we go.
0: Well, for most people, there's plenty of hiding taking place. You know, many of many layers of obscuration. So for most people, this will be a long-term, for everyone I'd say, it'll be a long-term exploration, never-ending exploration. It's hard to say exactly where any one person is on the whole.
1: That's it's almost impossible. Yeah. yeah,
0: but wherever one happens to be, keep on trucking. Keep know? on trucking. <laughs> because there's yet more to explore.
1: Well I'd like to thank you for having me again, it's great. Sure. i enjoyed it and we'll do it again someday.
0: Yep. Okay. It'll be interesting when your book comes out, I bet you it'll sell well. So uh, I'll make a few concluding remarks. So I've been interviewing Harry Alto. Harry and I live in the same town, as you can tell. This interview has been one in an ongoing series. There are about 240 of them or so now. You can uh, watch them all, not watch them all, but you can <laughs> investigate to see what ones there might be to watch by going to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P. There you will find, under the past interviews menu, you'll find uh, an alphabetical index, a chronological index and a topical index, uh, categorical, uh, which we're doing our best to sort out. There's also on future interviews menu there's a, a list of upcoming interviews and there's also a page to suggest a guest if you'd like to suggest someone to be interviewed. There on the site you'll also find a donate button which I appreciate people clicking and need people to click they can to keep this whole thing going and expand it. There is a chat group which gets quite lively sometimes around each interview. Each interview has its own theme in the chat group. There is a link to an audio podcast so you can listen to this just in audio while you're driving or whatever. And there is a link to sign up to be notified by email each time a new interview is posted. And some other stuff, too, if you explore around. So thank you for listening and, or watching. And we'll see you next week with, I believe, David Hoffmeister, I think his name is. The Course in Miracles guy. So we'll talk about that. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Harry.
1: Thank you. It's great.